All right, today on One Song, I am so excited because we've got the legendary producer and songwriter Jimmy Jam in the studio with us. Yes. Can we hear it for Jimmy? Woo! Oh, my wow. God. <laughs> Standing ovation. I love it. I love it. It's awesome. But before we get going, let me be clear. There's a lot we're not going to talk about in this episode. For example, we are not going to get into this man's 16 Billboard Hot 100 number one records. <laughs> That's right, Luxury. And you know what else we're not going to talk about? We're not going to talk about... Uh, Jimmy Jam and his, his writing partner, Terry Lewis, how they won five Grammys. We're not, no, not going to talk about that. Jimmy's 11 nominations for Producer of the Year. And we're definitely not going to talk about how he and Terry wrote that one Human League song that every black kid loved. Well, then I can go then. If we're <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, Human by Human League, no, no, but kind, of, a, kind of an amazing track. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that, that was okay. We lucked up on a few here and there. But we're not talking about that today. Oh, man. Okay, no, man. it's serious. Shoot, okay. But here's what we are going to talk about. <laughs> we are going to talk about a seminal, classic, iconic, genre-defining album, a work of art that created a legend and cemented Jimmy and Terry's place in the pantheon of music producers. It's an album that not only defined careers, but made Janet Jackson a superstar, and it also changed the course we would say, of R&B and pop music. It went five times platinum, sold over 10 million copies, and is frequently listed as one of the greatest albums of all time. Yes, that's right. Today on One Song, we're honored to welcome to the studio to talk about the making of the album Control, Mr. Jimmy Jam. Wow, that was great. Give me a beat! Shout out to U.S. Soy and the United Soybean Board for supporting this episode of One Song and for giving our podcast studio an unbelievably smooth, sustainable makeover. Here on our show, we dive deep into the music, dissecting every beat and lyric. Sustainability is just like that. Each eco-friendly choice we make is like a single note that contributes to life's melody. That's why Heartbeat and the USB are teaming up to lead the discussion around greening Hollywood. We're talking slashing the carbon footprint of production with soy-based alternatives like soy-based inks for printing scripts, soy foam for soundproofing studios, and even biodiesel generators to power sets. To see our sustainable studio transformation, watch the Tears for Fears episode of One Song and see behind-the-scenes clips of how we pulled the whole look together. It's all on at Heartbeat Audio on YouTube, and the link is in our show notes. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Jimmy, how are you doing, man? First off, I want to say thank you for coming to the show with us today. Uh, you know, like, people listening to this won't know this, but I am not even dressed the way I usually dress for the show. Usually I'm in a in a hoodie, you know, like maybe a, a, a skull cap. But today, like, I just, I feel like you can't talk to somebody with your resume and not be cool. Okay. So I, 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 I put it. on my trench coat, you know. I love I just, it. Perfect. I and, you know, I just had to get a little fancy because, Jimmy Jam, you are a hero for so much of us. 
Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Now, if it wasn't clear from that intro, we're so happy to have you here on, on the show with us today. And before we get into it, I wanted to say that usually on one song, we go deep inside one song, which is why the yeah. show is called One Song. Makes sense. Makes sense. But today we're going to be doing an entire album, one album, if you will, and that's the Control album from 1986, the Janet Jackson, the one that launched her as a global mega superstar, and in many ways launched your careers as mega superstars as well. So I want to start by asking you this. How did it come to pass that you started working with Janet Jackson? So Janet was a huge fan of the time, my band, my, or not my band, but the band I was in. Uh, <laughs> and um, she came to a show with her mom, was sitting in the front row. I think it was at Long Beach Arena, if I'm not mistaken, because Prince didn't let us play the forum and like Madison Square. He didn't let us play the big places. Why, why didn't he let you play the big places? Well, back in those days, before the internet, kids, um, there was newspapers. And after you did a show, the next day in the newspaper, there would be reviews, concert reviews. And a lot of the concert reviews from around the country basically said, yeah, Prince was cool, but the time. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Wow. Well, Everyone that's okay in Charlotte, North Carolina, or, you know, Podunk, Iowa, or I don't even know what the Podunk, Iowa is, <laughs> but I always say that. But it's Topeka. okay to say that in that newspaper, mm -hmm. right? Because nobody's going to see it. But if it... That happens in a newspaper in New York or in L.A. Uh, major market. It's major market, yeah. and, and it spreads everywhere, right? So <laughs> he didn't want to be on the same show with us in New York or L.A. That's so wild. Long Beach was okay. Yeah. So it was Long Beach <laughs> Arena. And um, we did the show, and I remember Janet sitting in the front row, and afterwards she came back stage, and we got a chance to meet her. And then about probably a couple, maybe... Um, and had she come out with an album at that point? She had, um, yes. The, the, probably the, no, the no, self-titled Janet Jackson? Yeah, it actually hadn't come out yet. Uh -huh. Because what I remember was going to the studio with her, not to work with her, but actually Leon Silvers was working on that album. The, the icon himself. Yeah. The icon, totally. And so Leon let us come to the studio to watch him record. Mm. And they were working on... Um, I can't remember. It was one of the Janet songs. I just can't remember which one it was. But she's like 14 or something at this point, right? Yeah, she's like really young. Mm -hmm. And we go to the studio, and so we're just kind of watching it happen and stuff. And we loved her. I mean, we thought her voice was amazing. We thought everything about her was real cool. What we noticed was that kind of the attitude, she always had this really feisty attitude, <laughs> like when you write when she was young. Uh-huh. And that was the thing we were not hearing. You weren't hearing that in the music. So... um Leon was friends with John McClain, and John McClain was the A&R person at A&M Records. Right. And John had called us and said, uh, actually a different female artist on on uh, A&M Records, actually I'll, I, now I can say who it is, it's Sharon Bryant from Atlantic, Atlantic Star, Star, was going to do a solo album. And uh, he said, you guys want to produce the album? We said, yeah, we love Sharon Bryant, that'd be great. Mm -hmm. So Sharon apparently didn't want us to do the record, she wanted to work with somebody else. Oh no! So John was kind of embarrassed and he said, I'm really embarrassed, he said, is there somebody else on the roster you'd like to work with? And we said, send us the roster. So he, you know, he faxed us the roster, because mm -hmm. once again, you know, just had to remind people before the internet and all that stuff. <laughs> so he faxes the roster, Terry and I look at the roster, our name stops on Janet. We said, let's do Janet. So we called John. We said, we want to do Janet. He says, you want to do a couple songs? We said, no, we want to do the whole album. He said, you do? And we said, yeah. He said, okay, cool. So anyway, we have a meeting with her dad, her, a bunch of other people. And I remember they played her uh, Patty Austin, The Heat of Heat, which was the record Amazing we just song. done. One right? of my favorite. The heat of heat, yep. the heat gets so hot. Hot. <laughs>
so, and Janet said, oh, I'm not sure whether I really want my record to sound like that. And we were like, no, 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 Janet, that that was for Quincy. That mm-hmm. was strings and live <laughs> drums Jones. and like, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, no, that was our Quincy impression. I said, your thing's going to be totally different. <laughs> we're gonna, It's going to be your own sound. It's going to be your own thing. So she said, okay, cool. As we were walking out, her dad goes, you guys are from Minneapolis. And we said, yeah. He said, Prince is from Minneapolis. We said, yeah. He said, don't have my daughter sounding like Prince. <laughs> I said, okay, Mr. Jackson, you got it. You got it. Um, but our thing was come to Minneapolis, no bodyguards, no, you know, extra people, no management, none of that. Bring, bring like a friend with you. Um, there's going to be no limos. She like a, a car to drive around or whatever, but you got to drive yourself. Mm. She came by herself? She came by, wow. she came with a girl named Melanie, a friend of hers named Melanie. And um, they came up. I remember they got to the hotel. They had to figure out the map to get to the studio. It was about four miles away. Yeah, she was like 17, 18 years old. Yeah, driving around Minnesota. In a strange city. (laughs) Well, but the the metaphor for it was perfect because um, she was somebody that was striking out on her own. You know, she was talking about independence, about moving away from her parents' house and that whole thing. She just left the the Joe Jackson management, like her dad, right? That must have been a big deal. Yeah. So well, it was I so mean, so the so yeah. the so the experience of that actually was, you know, going even going into clubs and, and, and just hanging out with her, it was all these new things. It was like, you know, hey, I want to rent a video. Okay, well Blockbuster's down there. Or like like literally <laughs> So she seemed sort of sheltered. Yeah. Is that a good way is that the right word or, or Well you just you always had people to do things for yeah. you. That way, you know, you kind of grow up uh insulated mm-hmm from a lot of things. And so you have people that, you know, hey, I need something. Well, you, they'll go get it or they'll go do it or, or that, whatever. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny because one of the things I remember, and we'll talk about it, is, is on Nasty, there were these guys at a club that were messing with her. And so we were watching it happen, but we just, you know, they were like, those guys are messing with Janet. And we said, yeah, yeah, we know, we, but we're cool. We're, we'll just watch. And so anyway, she made our way, her mate, her, she made her way back to us. And she was cool. And she said, do you see those guys over there? They were bothering me, whatever. And we said, yeah. <laughs> and she said, why didn't you come help me? And we said, well, obviously you didn't need us. You're back here now. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I, I can do it myself. She's growing up right in front up. of your eyes. Literally. Yes, yeah. that's what it was. And so that became sort of the theme of, of the record. Well, with you know, and by the way, I, I just had to say, uh, Jimmy Jam, has anybody ever told you you sound like Obama? Yes. I matter of fact, the last <laughs> time I was in this room, I got told that exact. Same I mean, it sounds thing. like Obama talking about Janet Jackson. It's really messing with my brain right now. <laughs> um, well, look, we want to just dive right all into it. I think we should get into some stems. Let's do it. So, one of the cool things about this show is we often have the original stems, the isolated parts from a song. I was lucky enough to get my hands on the stems for our four songs that you guys co wrote and produced for the Janet Jackson ooh. Control album. Are you mad at him That's for having our, access no, to I, the but stuff? But now, I, now yeah. I know. I know my computer got hacked, and now I know where they. I know who did it now. Yeah. It was Hunter Biden, actually. I was missing some. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. We're taking ooh, hot political stances ooh, now. Hot political wow. stances. That's, that's a weird thing to say. I'll cut that out. Can't push that theory any farther. No, 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 it's already no, no, gone. No. Please. Yeah, exactly. Um, All right. I was lucky enough, however, to get my hands on these stems. Um, there's a lot of stuff I want to play for you. The song I want to start with is What Have You Done For Me Lately? What have you done for me lately? Ooh, yeah. Yes, and before we get into the stems, I just wanted to ask real quick, what is the origin of this 
song because I I've heard that this song was actually prepared before was was cooked up before y'all met Janet. Is yes, that, true? that is absolutely true. Um, so when we started working on Janet, uh, Terry and I had been working on our what we thought would be our own album. And we had been doing just tons of tracks and stuff. No songs necessarily, but just tracks, right? Mm-hmm. So John McClain, the A&R guy from A&M, comes to town and we play him to hear everything, what, what we did, right? Comes to Minneapolis. We play Control, we play Nasty, we play When I Think of You, we play Pleasure Principle, we play Funny How Time Flies. We're playing all these songs. And like all A&R people, he goes, I just need one more. <laughs> I don't hear a single. Yeah, and we're like going, what are you talking about, man? He said, I, know, I just hear one more. We said, I forget it. So do anyway. Are they being honest about that? Are they just being like, or do they're you think to push they're you. just trying to push you? Yeah. They're, I think they're trying to push you mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, we never really let A&R people ever into our sessions and do anything. So, mm. But John was an exception because he was a musician, um, and he just... He just had great ears. I mean, we trusted him. Mm-hmm. We really that did. trust, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, but we kind of blew him off. So anyway, we get in the car. <laughs> uh, we're going to, I remember this place called Rudolph's Barbecue in Minneapolis, which is closed, unfortunately, now. But um, we were going to grab a bite to eat. Terry puts a cassette in. Cassette, for those of you following at home. Uh, <laughs> Terry puts a cassette in, and he says, um, John, listen to this. This is stuff we're working on for our album. And about the third song in, John goes, oh. That's the one I need for Janet. We're like, what are you talking about? Wait, had you been playing it for him, hoping he would like want to put your album out? Or we like, we were just sort of, but yeah. I know we were just playing it just to listen okay. to something in the car because mm-hmm. he was always interested in what we were up to. Yeah, I'm telling you, we, when we met Leon Silvers for the first time, he was actually at the studio uh, that we went to, and so he, we all met at the very same time. They were good friends and stuff. And he was like, in the back of his mind, he was like, I'm going to do something with those guys. But we didn't know that that's what he was thinking, but he was. Wow. So anyway, so this was the the opportunity. But you're not right? playing these songs going, do you want one of these? You're just playing them. No, we're yeah. playing them yeah. just like, just, <laughs> yeah, just kind of casually. Like, dude, listen to the, this stuff this that we're working on. our album. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, we're just listening to this, right? So And so we're listening and he goes, that's the song I need right there. That's the one I need. <laughs> and we said, no, man, that's from our album. He said, no. And, and John was very... Uh, adamant, very arrogant, very um, aggressive, like he, but in a good way. I mean, but but Charming. he was like that, right? So he was like, <laughs> he gives he gives us the whole plan. He's like, uh, uh, play it for her. And if she likes it, give it to her. And we're like, oh, okay, so we're just going to play our song, give it to her, you know what? He's like, yeah, yeah. So, of course, the next day we go to the studio. Janet is uh, sitting on the couch. We're in the control room. We're looking at Janet. And we decide, let's just put this song on, right? Because otherwise, John's just going to bug us about it, right? So we put the song on, and Janet's kind of watching TV. So she's like this to us, and she's watching TV. And she puts her head down. And she starts kind of grooving. And she stands up, and she comes to the doorway. She leans on the door. She points at the speakers. And then she points at us. The song goes off. She goes, who's that for? And we said, "You're like, oh, that old thing. Oh, I don't know. It's just we some said, garbage. We, it's, it's like a demo track. You don't, you don't want anything <laughs> yeah. part of that." <laughs> no, we just said, uh, "You, if you want it." Wow. And she said, "Oh, I want it." Can I ask you song, what exactly that song she's was? Hearing? What have you done for me, for me lately? Is she That's hearing amazing. just an instrumental track? Just or is the there, instrumental so track. No vocal, she's not even a guide with when, as the song phonemes. comes in. Okay. 
that's what she's hearing. That's all she's hearing. Okay. There's no vocal guide. There's no concept of what the song is. It's, it's just, just a track. Music. Wow. This just is just a track. It's hard. And speaking of which. Speaking of let's which, get let's, into hear, it. Let's, get, let's, hear some, let's hear some drums. Let's hear Give Me a Beat. Let's hear a beat. <laughs> that's not the song, but. <laughs> so I am excited to get into the stems. I have so many questions. I'm going to try to reduce them to give you more time to talk about it. But my first question is my understanding of, um, of this particular beat is that you had been using the DMX drum machine, but you're starting to use the Lin at this point. So mm -hmm. I'll play you the beat. Talk mm -hmm. to me a little bit about the programming. Did you program this beat? Did, mm -hmm. Yes, Terry, sir. how did this happen? Yep. And there is a hi-hat on this, but interestingly, it's on a downbeat. Right. So you barely notice it. Right. And there's this little percussion thing that's about to come in, so we're a little reverse. Yep. That sick beat did not sound like anything. Those drums, that snare is so big. Walk us through a little bit how you made that. So the Lindrum, not to be confused with the LM1, which was the kind of Prince mm. Lindrum, I guess Did you, you consciously say. not use the LM1 because that was the Prince drum? Yes. Um, <laughs> we, um, well, you know, Prince fired us back in the day. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> but we, he didn't want, our thing was we didn't want to give away the time sound or the Prince sound right. on records. I mean, we obviously had a lot of the same influences, but we didn't want to give that sound away because we felt like that belonged to the time and that belonged to Prince. So uh, we went to the Lindrum because it had a little different feel to it, a little different sound, and you could change the sound chips in them. So what you hear on that with the kick and the snare is that that might be the standard kick for the Lindrum, but the snare is a different snare. Mm. And we have a bunch of um, like these floppy little, discs. Yeah, they're, no, they're not even floppy disks because on that machine, oh, they were chips. literally the little chips right. or EPROMs, I think they were right. called. And they had a little adapter thing. So you'd plug the, you put the adapters in and then you could just flip them out and switch them. Otherwise, you'd kill them because you'd, you'd be trying to dig them out and stuff. Mm. But those are programmed separately. You didn't. Ha you can't program no. a Lin sound, unlike what was coming soon. Yeah, no, they were literally right. they were literally pre done things, but you could just change the combination. Did you have to buy them individually? You could buy them as. Oh, you know that's a great question. Um, <laughs> I think you could buy them. I don't know whether you could buy them in sets or not. Mm. I think there might. That's a really good question. I'm gonna have to look. I have. I feel a, like I still didn't have, the have a, a chip or something like well, Dave, that. Well, Dave. Okay, so David Garibaldi. Mm -hmm. Off the subject this, a little this bit. Is, this is really. We're talking deep, drums. Deep talking David shit. Garibaldi. But you're talking to two former drummers. <laughs> yeah, okay, so. perfect. Well, I, I and uh, three because I used to. That's right. I'm a yeah. I'm a first instrument. Yeah. So you're yeah, yeah. Different level. But, yeah. Yeah. Um. But um. No. So David Garibaldi, the drum. Machine track on seven 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 ninety three eleven is David Garibaldi programmed. He's and Tower of Power, is that right? Tower of Power yeah. drummer. And uh, by the way, David Garibaldi is. You guys know Morris Day plays drums, right? Yes. Oh, yeah, amazingly well. Amazingly well. Right. So. Uh, David Garibaldi was Morris Day's like idol, uh -huh. like that was who he patterned his whole That's who he wanted to be. right. So in the original, the LM1 Lin, which was the original one, the LM1 they had drummers come in and basically do beats for it, just to show what the drum machine could do. The 777 beat David Garibaldi programmed into the machine. Prince heard that beat, 
and came up with the idea for 77793. That's what's crazy about that song is that it is from a preset. We talk about yes. this on the show because <laughs> yeah. a few other songs have presets that become songs. Yes. That's another example. That's and crazy. And that, that was a case of that. Um, the the uh, Lindrum that we used, um, I don't remember having preset beats in it. Um, you basically had to do everything yourself. And I think by that point, they had proven the concept of the drum machine. Right. If you remember, the whole con- concept of a drum machine between the Lindrum and the DMX was like, you know, pe- they were just trying to prove that this works. This actually mm-hmm. works, right. you know. So they didn't need to do that. Was there the ever Lindrum. a conversation before you started the album where you went in and said, look, this is, th- our process is, the two of us make all the music. We're not going to get session musicians. And this isn't Quincy Jones. This is the opposite of Quincy Jones. Mm-hmm. We're not hiring. We're not getting Lewis Johnson on, you know, yeah. it's going to be the two of us making everything. And was that a conversation ever? Was it, or they were, they knew what they were getting because they'd heard, you know, the Shirelle and everything else. Or how, how did that conversation about what the sonic imprint of the record would be? Or did they find out when they heard the songs later? When, when, when you turned them in? You mean for Janet specifically? For, for Control, yeah, for the album. So with Control, what happened was when Janet came to town, we didn't go to the studio at all. We rode around the lake. We went to movies. We went to clubs. We just hung out. And the only song we had done was actually one that we didn't write called He Doesn't Know That I'm Alive. He doesn't And one of our writers, yes. yeah, yeah, so Lisa Keith, sort of who like, the famous, we always say every album has like that song that people a little don't different. bring up that much. Yeah. Yes. that's the one. Yeah, for, the, for control. Yeah, yeah. So that song was already done, and that mm. song was done so that we could have something ready when we were ready to go to the studio. Okay. And so, after about five days of just kind of having conversations and running around and all that, uh, she said. When are we going to actually work? <laughs> and we might um, be in build for all this lake lake time. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so anyway, she said, and 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 we said, um, yeah, we actually started. And she said, you did. And I said, yeah. And so I showed her the lyrics to the opening lyrics for what became Control. Oh wow! You know, when I was seventeen, I did what people told me, uh, did what my father, father said, said, and let my mm-hmm. mother mold me, whatever. She looked at those lyrics and she said, wait, this is what we've been talking about. And we said, yeah. And she said, so whatever we talk about, that's what we're going to write about? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then I want to, like, it was like the light bulb went off. It I'm was telling like you, all these things. We, right? We've been doing this, this podcast for a little bit. And I feel like those are where the best songs come from. It's like when Mark Ronson's hanging out with Amy Winehouse and they're just hanging out in New York. Yeah. And they walk, it's just a walk conversation. into the store. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, they tried to make me go to rehab. And I, I said, like, no, 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 yes. no. Way. And he's like, <laughs> wait a second. Wait that's a second. It right we got to go to the studio right yeah. now. That's real exactly. conversation. We got to go right now. It's those real conversations. So that's are you where it all comes from. Are you and Terry kind of hanging out with Janet and then going off to the cafe with like, she said this, she said this, like how? Absolutely. Okay. And yeah. you got like a yellow notepad, like yes. <laughs> writing it all down. That's interesting. Yes, absolutely. We, we, and we also had uh, what we called, although I, I don't think we used it a whole lot a little dictaphone with this. Maybe. Well, no, no, this is pre-dictaphone okay. days. I'm telling you, this was, we had what it's we called analog. the book of titles. Okay. 
and it was this kind of big, thick book. And whenever we'd hear a line or a phrase or yes. something that we like, we just write it down. I freaking love that. Because yeah. the titles are different from like the lyrics, right? The titles, like that could be either what is sung or it is just the title. Yes. And that's such a core thing. That's so interesting. I will say as a comedy that. writer, I have my little file of great titles for right. something. Yes. You know, yes. like I'll see a phrase, I'll see something, I'll be like, ah, oh, is that a murder mystery? Is that a, you know, like what? Yeah. What exactly is that? I want to bring us back because there's obviously so much we could talk about. Can I, I ask one more question back? about the title, just because? I yeah, yeah, yeah go, for it, go for it. Oh, yeah, yeah. The deep dive is this, we're deeply diving. Let's let's go. <laughs> what have you done for me lately? Beer. As a title, I'm oh. actually curious because obviously, so it's funny to me. I grew up where that phrase existed because of the song. Yes. Just <laughs> until later <laughs> in life that I came to understand. Oh, this is something people just said before. And I did a little research before the show to be like, where did it come from? It's it's uncertain, but some real deep diving nerd did an analysis with charts and everything where there was no, that phrase wasn't used in books or newspapers until the early 40s. And suddenly there's an uptick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you see like the frequency usage of, of that construction used. So in the 40s, it became kind of a known thing. So did you grow up and it was just a thing people said? Or like, where did the phrase come from? Where did it land for, for you and, and Terry? So it landed for us. I had never heard the phrase before. (laughs) And, but we got, someone sent us a, I think the store was called Spencer's Gifts or something back in the day. Shout out to Spencer's Gifts. One of those mall stores, (laughs) Great place to get a cup or a t-shirt. Okay. So we got this (laughs) little, go ahead. What was the things, I, I don't remember what they were called, but remember those pictures you would look at and if you looked at it one way, it would be... Like something, and if you looked at it another yeah. way, it would I be know what another you're talking thing. About. Do those right? have a name? But yeah, they had a name, but I just <laughs> kind of shifted a little bit. Yeah, they when you yeah. shifted it, yeah. right? Somebody sent us one, and it said it was a mad face, and it said the face of a client asking, "What have you done for me lately?" or something like that, <laughs> and it was literally just hanging on the wall of our studio, and I just looked at it one day and just said, "What have you done for me lately?" I like that. And mm-hmm. just wrote That's it down. In the title book. Right? In the title book. And that was it. And so literally when we did the track, I mean, we weren't thinking of a title at the time, mm-hmm. but after Janet, yeah, we knew we were going to do it for Janet yeah. after she stole it. Then we... Not that she's yeah. nothing. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, then we... But then that's when that title made all the sense in the world. I love this. I mean, I mean, if, I love taking it slow like this. So she hears the track. I want this track. You've got the title. How do you match the title to this track? And how does it, at what point is it the three of you writing it together? Like how are lyrics and melodies then then made from it? I did a um, sort of a demo of what I thought the melody should be, mm-hmm. which I always would do. I, I was always kind of more the melody person. And so I just knew it had to be a funky mm. kind of, our whole thing with Janet and by the way, this is the last song we recorded with her because we had already recorded, as I said, all the other songs. It was the first song you came up with, but the last you recorded with Janet. Yes. Yeah. And so we knew attitude-wise she could sing. Like that was our whole thing. It was like her rhythmic sense of vocal um, in her breaths and in everything she did almost became part of the percussiveness of mm. what the track was. Love it. So it was like if you gave the song to somebody, another singer... And they would say, um, used to be a time when you would pamper me. There's no funkiness to that. 
But if you give it to Janet and it's like, used to be a time when you were back for me. You used to brag about it. And all of a sudden it's like, oh shit. You know, so that was always the thing with Janet. And that was kind of the idea with the melody was to do something that was almost conversational. I love it. And, um, and then do a weird harmony for the chorus. We're going to dive deeper into the making of Janet Jackson's control when we get back. Shout out to U.S. Soy and the United Soybean Board for supporting this episode of One Song and for giving our podcast studio an unbelievably smooth, sustainable makeover. Here on our show, we dive deep into the music, dissecting every beat and lyric. Sustainability is just like that. Each eco-friendly choice we make is like a single note that contributes to life's melody. That's why Heartbeat and the USB are teaming up to lead the discussion around greening Hollywood. We're talking slashing the carbon footprint of production with soy-based alternatives like soy-based inks for printing scripts, soy foam for soundproofing studios, and even biodiesel generators to power sets. To see our sustainable studio transformation, watch the Tears for Fears episode of One Song and see behind-the-scenes clips of how we pulled the whole look together. It's all on at Heartbeat Audio on YouTube, and the link is in our show notes. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. This episode is brought to you by AARP. 18 years from tonight, Grant Gill will become a comedy legend when he totally kills it at his improv class's graduation performance. Knees will be slapped. Hilarity will ensue. That's why he's already keeping himself in shape and razor sharp today with wellness tips and tools from AARP to help make sure his health lives as long as he does. Because the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash healthy living. So let's go deeper into the track. This is the baseline. And um, so quick question for you. I mean, this sounds performed to me and not sequenced. Uh, let's play it first and let's talk about how this got made. First of all, is that who's playing? The, is that sequenced or performed? And if it is performed, is it you or Terry, ostensibly the bass player, but it's a keyboard part? Like, how are you? How are the two of you divvying up? Yeah, who's who playing that? What Tell on the song? <laughs> That's me. That's you. And it's That's yeah, you. and it's no. There's no sequencing going on. That's I you. never, I never sequenced. I've anything. heard that. I've heard okay. you've played you like the the twelve That's minute amazing. songs. It's just a twelve minute performance. That's exactly. You don't right. loop it. Nope. That's insane. Nope. That's crazy. That That's sounds amazing too. Wow. And by the yeah. way, I love how you know 
regular listeners of the show know that I'm a big fan of this word. I like how chonky it sounds. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a chonky bass line. You know, like, boom, 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 boom. Like, it just, it just, you can't help but move to that. So the other day, um, it, it was not to get off subject, but we did a show and I needed, uh, that's an OB8, by the way, synthesizer. Okay, Oberheim. That's doing the bass. Yeah. Oberheim OB8. And they have a new one called an OBX8. And I wanted one for a show, and it was a whole long story. We don't, I won't go Is into. This is like a modernized update. It's a of modern, the modernized update, yeah. but it's amazing. And actually, Tom Oberheim signed mine. It's a, oh. it's pretty amazing. <laughs> so anyway, but the sound on there, I was talking to Mike Dean, um, and we met at Synthplex last year, and I showed him that the bass sound because everybody always asks me what that bass sound is, mm-hmm. and they can never can figure it out. But it's because it's not a bass sound. What it actually is is the steel drum sound. Wow. Oh, from this song? From the, yeah, it's a it's a steel wow. drum. It's D4 is the preset on an OB8. <laughs> you can you pull that up? And you, that you have um if you if you unison it and then uh play it low, that's what it sounds like. And that has a bit of I think maybe Steve Hodge magic. Steve Hodge is your uh, mixer, your yeah. engineer slash engineer. mixer. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. One thing I should sort of caveat, by the way, because it's important sonically, is everything I'm playing is pre-mixing. Mm-hmm. So when we start to do a little build later on, it's not going to sound like the album. Yeah. It's going to sound like it sounded in the room that day. Yes. But it doesn't have the Steve Hodge magic on it quite yet. Right. No, so I understand. For, forgive us, Steve Hodge. What you did was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but here's the main hook. So here's that marimba sound that Jim was just talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very kind of... Caribbean, yep. Jamaica. So that's the same patch, same patch but in as the, the bass range. Yes, which is interesting. I, all this time, I was thinking it was like some kind of like weird like orchestral hit, yeah, or something like that. But it's not that at all. It's a it's a marimba steel drum. It's, it's a marimba steel drum, which gives it that kind of interesting quality that it has. Which as a as a bass, I'll play it again. Like if I were choosing a bass, I probably wouldn't choose that because I'm like, oh, it's not bassy enough, or it's yes. not, it's kind of got like a thickness to it that's a little bit like wonky. Mm-hmm. But and that's not a problem because <laughs> in the song it didn't cause any problems. So I'm gonna play with that beat. Oh my god! And, and by the way, so just to go back to your former mm-hmm. question, that's basically what Janet heard. Right, it's just that much because there was no vocal or nothing there. So oh, she no just, bridge or anything, right? No, she didn't even. I don't even. The, the, I'm trying to think. Was the bridge actually there? I don't think we had done the bridge yet. Okay, I think it was just literally that group. God's gift to this earth. Yeah, I don't think are we had all done these lyrics. Yet. Are, are all these lyrics throwing shade at uh, her ex-husband, DeBarge? <laughs> Um, <laughs> would you would you talk? Would you talk? I mean, about that's that what we thought. I, I mean, you, you know, know anybody I, who knew her life sort of figured like, oh, this must be like, you know, he hasn't done anything for her lately. He's had his dancing feet on her couch. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, that's a really good question. I don't honestly remember. Okay, who if there was a single subject. Yeah. Or if it was more just metaphorical. I don't, I, I don't think the DeBarge family is as big as it used to be. They're not out here right. you know, hunting you down if you, if you admit it's about DeBarge. Oh, yeah, no. I, <laughs> I, don't, I really don't remember. Honestly, I don't remember. I don't remember it because I don't remember her being a bitter person about stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, I know a lot of people are like, you know. It is crazy. And she was 18 and divorced. Yeah, exactly. That's wild. I know. <laughs> you think about she, that. She lived a lot of life. Yeah. <laughs> Well, speaking of Janet, let's listen to some Janet Jackson some vocals. isolated vocals Here we go. Cool. from What Have You Done For Me Lately? <laughs> <laughs> 
Used to be a time when you would pamper me. Used to brag about it all the time. And one thing I want to point out, I, I gave you that warning a minute ago, is that Jimmy's also in the mix there. <laughs> Uh-oh. And um, <laughs> we have it isolated? I do, if that's okay. It sounds great. Oh, <laughs> But I mean, yeah, you call it blackmail vocals. I don't want to like... Yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> it sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, and then I'll, then I'll promise fine. I'll play it in the mix. No, no, Used it's all good. Used to be a time when you would pepper me. Woo! Used to brag about it all the time. <laughs> Your friends seem to think that you're so peachy keen. But my friends say neglect is on your mind. Who's right? Oh, oh, I got it off right before who's right. What's the matter with me? Here we go. That's right. <laughs> who's what right? Is, Jimmy's right. What yeah. does it evoke hearing that back? Have you heard that in a while? I mean, do you remember that moment? I actually, you well, I, I, I actually have heard it back recently okay. because we just did a live show in Pittsburgh, uh, Jam and Lewis show, our first Jam and Lewis show ever. Wow. We did in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Jazz Festival, just kind of as a proof of concept. And we had all the stems as we were, you know, building the band and building the part. So yes, I have actually heard that as about a week ago. I heard it, unfortunately. Okay. So yeah. And here it is in the mix, as promised. And this is what you hear on the recording. Used to be a time when you would pamper me. Used to brag about it all the time. Now, do you remember the 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 process that led you to to these vocals to these sessions? Does it sort of evoke like a memory of what happened that day, or in that session, or? Was it all such a blur with, you know, you did the whole record in three weeks. So. Yeah, it, right. Well, it was actually six weeks. But, six weeks. Uh, six Not weeks, including yeah. the, like, movies part and the Midland, the Lakes Oh, yeah, part. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, this, yeah, well, six weeks, yeah, six weeks including the including, movies and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's all a blur. I do remember we did this really fast mm. because we were done with the record, remember? We thought we were totally done. Mm -hmm. So this was like, well, we have, like, you know, three days to get this done to make the deadline. Because the deadlines then were, you know, you, it was like a four-month thing. You know, like, I think you had to have, like, the album done, and then there was, like, four months that you needed to, you know, press it and to do the artwork and do all these other things. So I think we were just under the gun. I just remember it was it happened really fast. And we did two songs. We did this song, and we also did uh, You Can Be Mine was the other song we did. That was uh, like Which also got day. stolen... Yeah, it got stolen from our <laughs> same from your know, stash. From our stash, yeah. So yeah. So anyway, I just remember it. Yeah, it was sort of a blur. It just happened all really fast. Yeah. But we thought it was cool. It was like, okay, let's let's do it. Well, one thing I love about your your work is that I, I think your philosophy, from what I have come to understand, is that speed is is a friend to the creative process. And like the fact of you apparently deadlines are deadlines are a good thing. friend deadlines to the process. We all know uh, this from first yeah, experience, but do, yeah. but not overthinking and kind of like you will listen back to takes and sometimes you might hear something that isn't a hundred percent there, but you're like, well, we liked it that day, so it's probably all right to move forward with it. That's right? the that's the. I always say we we had a lot of great. Um, teachers, right? Um, one of them was Prince. And Prince, it was all spontaneous, first take. Prince would do a song. He'd start a song at the beginning of the day. The song would be done at the end of the day. Mm. Fully mixed, fully done. And so we learned that side of it. We also learned the kind of meticulous vocal uh, exercise that was Leon Silvers III, which was kind of the opposite. It was kind of like we're going to get every breath and every syllable perfect. and every perfect. Yes. We're kind of a hybrid of the two. Mm -hmm. And so what you hear on our recordings, I think overall, and certainly on, on this, there's certainly the imperfection of my voice, 
with hers. Um, but it's also also the spontaneity, I yeah. guess you'd call right. it, and the I, energy of getting something done quickly. But that also makes it human sounding too. Like well, yeah. nowadays you can pro tool everything within an inch right. of its life and it takes away a lot of the humanity. Of the I think so too. So I want to just quickly build a harmony stack for the chorus because it's really fun to hear the lead and then how the chorus background, the BG vocals, the BGVs mm-hmm. come in. Here is Janet lead. What have you done for me lately? Ooh, yeah. Let's add one of her harmonies. What have you done for me lately? Ooh, yeah. Let's keep going. So, we got, so, we got another one. We got another one. If you velvety, if you like that velvet, you'll like this velvet even more. What have you done for me lately? Ooh, yeah. I can't listen to this and not have my eyebrows just like raise higher and higher every time. <laughs> so this is the ultimate eyebrow raise as we get this last fourth and final harmony. What have you done for me lately? It's really subtle, but the velvet just keeps building and building and building on top. And I've heard you talk a little bit about Janet's process, but do you want to kind of walk us through like how you, how you would come up with what harmonies to sing and how you would work with Janet to get, to get that stack to exist? The harmony stacks normally would basically be whatever I would play on the keyboard. So it wouldn't be the normal stacks that a vocalist would think to do. Because when you play a keyboard, a lot of times there's like notes that are like right next to each other and it sounds weird when you play them like that. And, and like, so it's very tough to sing. You're talking about like like sevenths and maybe a ninth and things yeah, like that. But, but even Flavor. though, yes, but even if you had, um, let's say, uh, what would be a, a, like a, a, like a E minor, let's say, and you have a, a B, D, and then an E right next to it, and then a G or something, right? The D and the E being next to each other, to hear that to sing is tough. Yeah. Mm. Janet was always really good at that. And I she just used to trust. I remember when we first started. Oh, because doing she's harmonies. singing it to herself. Is that what she means? Yes, it's hard she's to singing sing along. To yes. So we always, okay. yes. I and I will say on the on the Janet record, uh, with the exception of Lisa Keith uh on maybe one or two songs, all the vocals you hear, and of course me sneaking in underneath, all the vocals you hear are hundred percent Janet. Yeah. And that was important to us, and that was the decision we made early on, was that we wanted the record to be hundred percent her. We're, we didn't we're want gonna, it to be yeah. You know, other it's, it's people. Like, it's like a hip hop album with too many features. You know right. what I yeah. mean? Like it, it just, should be hundred yeah. percent her. She's hitting every background part, every lead part. It's like you you know that it's a Janet album. Right, right. And so that was really important. And meanwhile, but, it's 100% you and Terry. So it's yeah. the three of you are the entire sonic everything we hear. It's really the three of you. It's incredible. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, next we want to talk about some sampling and interpolation. Interpolation? Interpolation. Luxury. Kind of catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> he gets paid thousands every time he says it. Luxury, what, what, what you got for us in this department? Okay, and just real quickly, and by the way... Uh, you're just reminding me, interpolation. We connected because you reached out to me with my videos. So you've obviously you've seen my interpolation videos yes. and said some nice things about them. I'm really interested in your take on the phenomenon as somebody in the middle, as a writer and producer, someone whose work has been sampled, mm-hmm. has been interpolated, has been covered, has mm-hmm. been paid reference and homage to in the culture, mm-hmm. but also as someone who uses samples and who you, we're going to get into that, especially when we get to to nasty. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious your take in general about where does something for you 
cross a line into like, well, we need to have a conversation on either side of it. You hear something where it's like, wait, that reminds me of me. Or, you know, you're using somebody else's material. Where, where does it sort of become like, well, this is, this, is, this is a conversation that needs to be begun? Great question. It is a great question. So I'll try to get an answer to match it. Um, <laughs> I think I will start with something that Terry, my partner, always says. Uh, he says, we've never been sued for a number 20 record. <laughs> when the record goes number that. one, trust me, there's somebody Somebody's else. Somebody's going to show up. Somebody's showing up. <laughs> or there's and, a hit, there's a writ. Yes. So, and he, but it's just, we call it the cost of doing business. It just mm -hmm. is what it is. So in that, to that terminology, I would say that I hear things all the time that sound similar, but I also realize that there's a finite number of notes. Mm. There's only so many combinations that are good uh, that can be made, and there's only a certain amount of combinations that actually are pleasing to the ear mm -hmm. that people like. I mean, you can take music and do some really wrong, horrible stuff, <laughs> and nobody's going to like it, you know, and so you eliminate a, a lot of the possibilities that could happen. Um, I've always, I remember back when sampling started, and I, you know how people ask you a question and they're expecting a certain answer? I remember people would ask us, what do you think about sampling? <laughs> yeah. Like accusatory. It's, yeah. Right. It's Assuming it would be a bad, yeah. like, like it's no, cheating I don't like and it. it's, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever. And we'd go, we love it. Mm -hmm. And they go, you do? And we go, yeah, we love it. Because to me, any record that I grew up with loving that influenced me, I tried to figure out a way to sample it and make a new version of it. Mm -hmm. Because to me, it, ex it exposes it to a whole nother generation Absolutely. of people. And I had, um, you know, I'll just mention it's a different album, but on, I'll never forget on, on Someone to Call My Lover, I remember being on the airplane with, um, uh, not Dewey, but the other one from America. I can't remember which one it was. But anyway, he said, um, he said, are you Jimmy Jam? And I said, yeah. And he said, <laughs> you built me my pool. Said, cool. <laughs> and, then, and then at the Grammys, we won, all for you, won a Best Dance uh, recording. And I ran into a guy named Wayne Garfield, uh, literally at the McDonald's in Staples Center, which is now Crypto Center mm -hmm. or whatever. I was grabbing a quick, some fries and something I hadn't eaten all day. And uh, he goes, are you Jimmy Jam? And I said, yeah. He said, you built me my house. <laughs> because he wrote Glow of Love. And so he, the royalties from oh, All from For Change. You, yeah, yeah, the ro the royalties from that record bought wow. him his house. So to me, I love sampling. Yeah, the glove was great. I love interpolation. I love all that. Well, you know, it's interesting, by the way, and in, in interpolation. He asked me. He said, "Did you guys use the master for someone to call my lover, which is Ventura Highway?" Mm -hmm. And I yeah. said, "No, because Warner's wanted to charge us. I don't know, hundred grand or some crazy thing." And I said, "I called Janice, guitar player, and I said, can you play?'" Uh, Ventura yeah. Highway. He said, "Yeah, I gave, him a, I gave him a grand. I gave him a grand, and that was it. And so they were out. Of, they were out of the loop on that record. But of course, you know, the, the people that wrote it got the right. credit as and they the publishing should. Publishing side, you still got publishing side, paid. still got it. Yeah. But we had a couple of times when the master use thing was so incredible, and we we're like, we can just, we can do this. We know how to play instruments. Yeah. It's not like we're, you know. And so it's interesting. But no, I overall, I love it. I I love the tools." 
It's all tools to me. The technology is all tools. And sampling to me is a great tool. Right. And and I also, you recognize the line between something being a reference and something being like, you know, st- stolen, so to speak. You know, the, yeah. the, the idea of stolen's always bothered me because like the other person still has it. It's not like yes. a bicycle. You take the bicycle. Only one person has the bicycle. Yes. You can borrow or sort of reuse an existing idea that you transform. It's not stealing. So that idea of calling it stealing has always really bothered me. It's only stealing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think, and I, I agree with that. I, I think the only stealing part is when, you know, you're not giving credit or you're right. not. Yeah. yeah. I think in the early days of sampling, like, you know, there was, there was no money <laughs> to, and, to clear the sample. And, so, and know. the permission yes. to do it. Yeah. Like I remember when we did, that's the way love goes. And James Brown was like, he was like, eh, yeah, that, that, that Janet is kind of risque. I, I don't know. I knew that was coming. Yeah, I, I, I knew that was coming. Yeah, I don't know whether we, you know, we what. We said, no, James, it's, it's cool. We sent him the lyrics. We sent him the song, and he was cool. He was cool with it. He was like, okay, he said, oh, I like this. I like this. this is like, okay, good. You know, James was always like, hey, you can sample yeah, it, but try yeah. and keep it clean. Yeah, right, exactly. Oh, totally, totally. Or, or even, uh, or another example is uh, Joni Mitchell when we did, uh, of course, took big, big yellow taxi, yeah, forgot till it's gone. gone. We thought Amazing we had heard set. she was Amazing against track. sampling and we she wasn't going to be with it. And Janet called her and she said, oh, I can't wait to hear what you guys do with it. And we were like, okay, cool. And then when we did it and sent it to her. She like loved it. She said, oh, I love this. I love this. And I had dinner with her about a year ago. And she said, you know the coolest thing about that record? I said, what's that? She said, every day somebody comes up to me and says, Joni Mitchell never lies. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, to me, once again, the, 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 to me, the bonds that can get forged over that, yes. oh, I just, I think, outweigh any of the, you know, the cheating or any of the, those types of things. Okay. So Luxury's just yeah. going to play just a smidgen, <laughs> like a smidgen. the smallest amount Extraordinarily of songs legal. Cool. that have sampled, interpolated some of your classics well this is just actually even for this one song what have you done for me lately because it is such an iconic like song and like that phrase like i said i grew mm-hmm. up thinking it was a janet jackson phrase so <laughs> we have we have uh somewhat famously uh i'd say probably one of the most famous is uh from sister act two when they um it's actually more of a cover or an interpolation yeah. somewhere yeah. in between that yep So it's part of a larger medley, but just a little thing. I remember. Was that something that, you know, when it came in, you you were like, this is amazing. You cleared it. It was like 100%, you know, like no problem at all. All of that, All of the above, All of the above. Yeah. No, we thought we were, it was an honor to have our song uh, used. I I always, when people sample or interpolate our stuff, I always feel totally honored by it. I mean, I'm trying to think, I'm sure at some point there was something that maybe lyrically or for some reason we said, nah. But for the most part, no, it's, it's such a compliment. And when, what about this one? This is uh, Bananarama okay. paying homage, potentially, okay. or potentially interpolating. Up okay. to you. What do you think, Jimmy Jam? I can't disguise it. I'm so excited. Ooh, yeah. hmm. <laughs> it's, 
No, I, I heard me, another sample there. Heard, yeah, I heard Boogie Oogie Boogie. I heard Boogie Oogie Boogie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, we're going to take all these yeah, black that's songs. Right. That's right. No, Bananarama. No, they should be locked up. Yeah. What do you think about that one, Jimmy Jam? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think about it. That's fine. He's not thinking about that. I don't know. Was that a number one record? <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Jam Shade. Bananarama. Has been thrown. <laughs> Let's look up the more than physical chart position and then we'll see what we're doing tomorrow. Okay. okay. See if someone's getting a phone call tomorrow. Um, Okay, well, those were the main... Actually, there's one more. And okay. this is kind of the main... I ain't snitching, so tell me if you ain't heard this. Um, what are your thoughts on hearing this? Exhibit? Oh, wow. I haven't thought about this song in about 20 years. I would not have heard... Wow, that's I don't incredible. know if I've ever heard that song that in my baseline. life. It's, a, it's an album cut on, I would argue, like his big album. Yeah, like, yeah. It was about... 2002, I think. But yeah, I remember that track. Did not occur to me. <laughs> You're hilarious. That, that bass line a, rings I, a bell. It rings a bell. I, wow. Yeah. It was a number one. I, I just, I, it, you know, it's funny. I'll tell you, Exhibit, I, when I first came to LA, I remember I did an interview. I might have been on K Day or something, one of the hip hop stations back in the day. Uh-huh. And I remember they had it on the thing. And as I'm looking at the name, I'm, re- I'm realizing Exhibit. But I didn't realize it was Exhibit. I thought it was Exhibit. So I was like going, when I was reading these like little tags and stuff, I was saying ex- ex- Exhibitors. Ex- I was calling him something. And, every, and I didn't realize it until after I'd already left the station. And then I remember hearing a couple of bumpers where I said that. And I and it was before the, you know, the social media days. Yeah, so yeah. I didn't get clowned. But I just remember, okay, I'm never making that mistake again. <laughs> Wait, That's that reminds so me. Bad. I was rewatching the 1987, the Billy Crystal, the like control performance, which I... I love that performance. I hadn't seen it in a while. Thank you. But I'm watching that performance at the very end. Billy Crystal goes, and thanks so much to Mr. Jimmy Jam and Miss Terry Lewis. Yes. This time we're our producers, Jimmy Jam and Miss Terry Lewis. I remember that. You caught that. People I, I, caught that. I love that. And I love, and I, but I love <laughs> he Billy. He just didn't I know. Love, I love Billy Crystal too. Yeah. But he, he clearly <laughs> yeah. wasn't making a joke. He had no idea. No, he had no idea. No, it was great. It was, it was great. I loved it. Hey there, One Song listeners, Luxury here. Now, as you probably can tell, we had a lot of fun with Jimmy Jam, who generously gave us nearly three hours of his time. Mr. Jam had so many amazing stories about how he made this iconic album with Janet Jackson that we decided to share as much of it as possible. For that reason, this is the first two-part episode of One Song, so be sure to come back next week when we continue our interview with Mr. Jam and go deep inside three more of the hit songs he and Terry Lewis wrote and produced for this iconic Janet Jackson album including Nasty, When I Think of You, and the title track, Control. Jimmy also shares some amazing stories about his time working with Prince, and you know you don't want to miss that stuff. So be sure to tune in next week for part two of our insightful and inspiring conversation with Jimmy Jam. And as always, if you want to reach us, you can find me at L-U-X-X-U-R-Y Luxury on Instagram or LuxuryXX on TikTok. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast. It really helps. And now for the credits. This episode was produced by Matthew Nelson and Jordan Calling with engineering from Marcus Hom. Additional production support from Leslie Guam, Charles Childers, and Alicia Shimada. The show is executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, Mike Stein, Brian Smiley, Eric Eddings, and Eric Weil. I'm Issa Nakazawa. 
Join me on Stars and Stars with Isa, where I welcome today's stars to find out what their birth chart reveals about them. I'm laughing because I'm like, <laughs> these are two big topics in my life. It's crazy because I feel all those ways at once. Listen to Stars and Stars with Isa wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.